Hi everybody, welcome back to another um, Beef and Lamb New Zealand Seen and Heard podcast. Look, this one's a big one, um, you'll hear why as we talk through it, but it's doubly special. This one will be the 100th podcast that Beef and Lamb New Zealand have put out, um, which is a pretty big milestone for us. And about the same time, by our forecasts, we're going to hit 100,000 unique downloads of our podcast, which is also a pretty big um, milestone, and certainly not one we necessarily expected to hit um, when we started this this um, this channel. So look, thank you very much for your support. But the other big thing that we're going to mark in this podcast, and we thought we'd do a special podcast to mark it, is, well, it's been described as the jewel in Beef and Lamb New Zealand's crown. It's helped... I know tens of thousands of farmers with objective information over the years and it's a source of unimpeachable evidence um, when the industry goes to argue its case with the likes of of central government. Because this month, July 2020, Beef and Lamb New Zealand's Economic Service marks its 70th anniversary. And to talk about the history, uh, where it started, where it's been, where it's going, what it does, I'm joined by Rob Davison, Executive Director of the Economic Service. Rob... um, I know you've been here a while, you haven't been quite here since the start of the the economic service, Um, but thousands upon thousands of farmers, I know I've heard you talk either uh, face to face or in the media, things like that. Um, Let's just talk about, what's your current role with the economic service? What what do you do? Current role, my title still stays as Executive Director of the Economic Service, but uh, I'm more in the background now, and uh, Andrew Burt, our Chief Economist, is really running the economic service, and technically I report to him now. All right, we'll talk a wee bit about that, but look, let's cut to the chase. Um, you and I have both been around a while. In that time, we've had meat boards, wool boards come and go, merge, bits yep. fall off, wool levies come and go. Why has the economic service lasted 70 years when everything else has changed so much? I think the fundamental principle is the core of information and the, the economic service, which we'll talk about in a wee bit in a minute, but it's that sheep and beef farm survey, which is a survey of what's actually happened on farms, its actual farm data, um, and it's rigorous, and it, it's a full survey of a farm. That it's all of its business practices, it's all of its animal practices, it's all yep. of its uh, physical fertiliser practices, um, and financial performance of the farm. So if we go back, the um, genesis of the Economic Service was a Royal Commission in 1949, mm-hmm. and the paraphrasing, finding out of that, is there was no source of facts that... Uh, the industry could soundly formulate um, and make decisions on uh, for future direction, mm-hmm. something like that. Yep. And out of that, the economics recommendation that the wool board and the meat board set up a joint organisation, which was the economic service, um, and we were the economic service of the New Zealand meat board and wool board. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had two masters at that point. From that, it soon became pretty obvious that to meet the requirement about reporting on factors that affect future production was one of the requirements for the Commission, as well as um, sound uh, base of, of information for making decisions. So on that genesis, the survey soon evolved, mm-hmm. and um, by about year two or three, we, the survey was well underway of sheep and beef farms. Yep. It struggled along for about um, probably 10 towards 15 years trying to define what a sheep and beef farm was. We had farm classes, which has evolved based on management systems. So we have eight farm classes based on the most extensive, which is high country, South Island, Mm -hmm. uh, high altitude, and uh, graze the high country in the the summer months and bring it down and stock down in the autumn for the lower valley floors. So that sort of system to the most intensive, which would be Canterbury Plains, uh, where they've got mainly cash cropping, mm-hmm. but they put a lot of uh, stock through in between the crop rotations yep. and finish them. So at the moment in the South Island, we're just working out the other day um, for a project that uh, about 15% of the South Island land production will be going through the cash cropping farms yep. going in. So they are a bit of the fabric of it. And then we've got North Island Hill Country, which is the most populous mm-hmm. farm class, and um, that has um, it's sort of easier hill country. Mm-hmm. Then we have uh, hard hill country in the North Island that's quite steep, and they're selling mainly store stock. Yep. Um, but the hill country now is finishing quite a lot of stock. And then we have um, breeding finishing farms in the South Island and intensive finishing mm. um, in Southland Otago. So that farm class 
classification has stayed through the years, it's been hard to change that. Yep. And it does describe the management systems and the production that comes mm. from that very well. And these farm classes span a lot of regions, they're not regional, they yep. around the whole country. Um, except classes are specific to each island. Um, so, so from that genesis we have a base which, and the other thing is to, we had to be independent and authoritative with our information. Mm-hmm. So again the survey underpins all of that. And the survey is, a, is of enormous value because it allows us to interpret official government figures with more clarity. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it works in very, very well with that. So the survey is there, and from that information, we're forecasting meat production, um, and we still forecast wool production as a byproduct because wool is a joint product with sheep. Yep. If you've got your sheep numbers and you've got the clip ahead, you've basically got your wool production. Mm-hmm. Um, though we're not funded to do that now, but the the evolution of the survey has has really been um, what we describe in the economic services BC before computers, yeah. which was yeah. up to 1968 when we had a team of clerical staff punching and adding up heaps yeah. of numbers from the survey. But I need to explain the survey um, is really a four-hour interview with farmers, and we're very grateful for the farmers that they for the time they give, and it's it's a whole farm survey, so we're doing a stock reconciliation of their livestock um, on the farm of the farmer. Mm-hmm. Um, we're lifting up all of their sale invoices or accessing them today electronically. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get all the stock sales and purchases, we get the timing set right for that. The same, we get all the invoices for fertilizers so we know exactly what fertilizer's mm-hmm. going on. And we standardise those to a June year. And financial accounts, 75, 80% will be June year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest will be mainly March and a few other months in between. But and we take those accounts and we, we don't have the resource to standardise them but we to a June year, but we take those as the financial performance of the farm. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and um, from that we analyse the farm accounts. So we take which are basically taxation accounts. We take taxation accounts and we put them into a management set of accounts. Mm-hmm. And so, and farms are complex businesses, sheep and pig farms. We have six income streams basically, which wool, prime land, mutton, um, beef cattle, maybe cash crop, mm-hmm. uh, maybe selling hay and, and other things like that. And today, probably honey Non-year. comes onto the balance sheet. So, all of these things add up to quite a, a complex farming mm-hmm. system that farmers are, are working. The farm survey is drawn for us um, by the government statistician at arm's length, so we have a really good cross-section of mm. farms. And we're sampling 4.5% of the farms in the so how many farms is that? At the moment we're sampling about 400, uh, 530 farms. Yep. And we need that number to make the farm, cl- <coughs> farm class structure work. And so the survey is saying yeah. sensible things about the whole country performance and maybe some comment about yeah. regional performance. And from that survey we can forecast pretty accurately um, what meat production is going to be mm-hmm. bar an odd regional drought which made alter things. But even then it's very interesting, the last major drought we had was 1988 in my career. Since then we've had quite a severe drought up in the Hawke's Bay and, and Northland mm-hmm. and Waikato this year. Um, but regionally we tend to move stock out, the farms tend to have much more elastic boundaries than they used to yeah, have yeah. and stock will move to regions. So while the Droughts are devastating in the regions where they're happening if they're regionalised. Uh, New Zealand bank industry doesn't see that as much because the stock move out and, and they get finished to reasonable weights in a drought year. Prior to 1988, um, we used to see big drops in livestock mm. rates because we didn't have that elastic sort of boundary. I put down a lot of that as to um, much better management systems, yep. extension from Beef and Lamb New Zealand, how we manage droughts, we act much earlier. And also we've got cheap communications and better roads and trucking systems. They all add up to a lot of how we manage our farms today. And our farms are not isolated units, they're all interdependent on each other in the region. And even in the uh, interdependences is the supporting industry, to top dressing, to uh, shearing, to all the other sort of infrastructure that our farms support that's there out in the region. So they're not mutually exclusive businesses, they're very interdependent, and interdependent on each other with stock going 
from um, store country down into finishing on yep. lower country. I suspect this might be the case that I wouldn't have to ask many questions because I've heard you talk about this a few times. I know how well you know it and how passionate you are, but I, I just want to drill into a couple of those things. Around about the 450 farms and the, the one of the five, key... Five, five, 550, okay. Five, and one of the key five, things there with those farms is, um, we'll talk about how they're selected, but you go back to the same farms for as many years as they're still relevant and the farmers will have you, basically. It's a long-term, it's not the different farms every year. Yeah, well... It, to, to make the survey work, and statistically, uh, the average life of the survey would be about seven years. Yep. Um, and so we're drawing, farms are coming in, and some farms, through farm sales, are dropping off or um, maybe being rotated out, or the farmers elect not to be in the survey. Uh-huh. Keeping in mind it's a voluntary survey, and we really appreciate this, but they do get some good feedback of yep. their analysis of their farm. Um, so... Just talking about um, the fact the farms are in, you know, over a long period of time. Yeah, and so the farm survey is um, designed to measure farms uh, about um, four and a half percent proportionally. So we have four and a half percent of small farms, medium-sized farms, and large farms. So as you'd as you'd understand, there's a quite a few, very few, very large farms, but mm-hmm. we still have a four and a half percent sample of those. So that that four and a half percent is that just said that was about the number that gives you a robust or statistically significant sample? It gives us a, a, a sample that we can work with statistically, yep. and it will sum up regionally mm. and give us really good New Zealand information. Uh, we can't get below, with the complexity of our farm systems, we can't get much below that 530-odd farms. Yeah. Um, when we've had staff changes and organisational changes and we've dropped down to about just under 500 farms, the survey has, mm. it, it doesn't tell you much. You know, yeah. it's, you just need that critical mass, yeah. and that's the minimum critical mass to make it work. And the other key thing I want to pick up in there is, is it, it's not just uh, the 500-odd, the 530, 540 farms that... You said those farms have to the distribution represents the distribution of the the real population. It, it dis, the strat- distribution of farm is stratified, so it represents the distribution of small mm. and large farms and medium-sized yep. farms in New Zealand, and then regionally. Mm. But it uh, and so in, in the structure, it works very well <clears throat> at what we call the all-class level, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that traces our uh, trends about what's happening through the sector very well. Yep. Um, the other thing is farms, because we've got a relatively small sample and we're measuring production, we want 85% of our sample to be in the survey this year and last year. Yeah. Because then it's the changes between years in our seasonal production uh-huh. systems that is very important. So we don't take a sample of farms random, random here and then another random next year. And so, you hit that target? What's yeah, we, we do. We hang around that 85% is yeah. what we're looking for, and we, we keep it. Some of it's natural attrition, uh, some of it's people um, electing to go. Yeah. And keep in mind, in my career, we've gone from about 24,000 commercial sheep and beef farms down mm. to now about 9,300. Yep. Um, so there's been a huge change in land use of, of commercial. Farms have become bigger, um, and some of the best land in, in the last decade... Uh, on easier country, we've lost nearly a million hectares of that to conversion from sheep and beef to dairy. Mm-hmm. But overall, we, we still have lost uh, 34% of our sheep and beef farm land compared with 1990. That's mm-hmm. used as a base for greenhouse gases, yep. a lot of other things. But the, the other losses we, <clears throat> we have, it's gone back to the dock estate, uh, it's gone to conservation, it's, it's reverted to scrub because mm-hmm. it couldn't be farmed under where we did have subsidies in the 70s and early 80s. Um, and also, just people have got to remember that our human population has grown 50%. Mm-hmm. And in that process, um, we've built more highways and motorways and things, and they all take up farmland. Mm-hmm. And urban encroachment as uh, boundaries change, they come out and they take over um, what was farmland for urban growth. And all those things, and advent of viticulture, expansion of orcharding, and, and all that, has all taken in, into the, the sort of land use change and fabric that we, that we have. So sheep and beef farmland is more back to the hills where it yeah. is now. And the most remarkable thing is that we've cut our sheep flock down about 54% compared with 1990, but we're producing about 8% less lamb by tonnage. We've made up all that difference um, just through management skills 
and also things like genetic improvement, particularly in, mm. in sheep. Back in 1990, it was 100 lambs from 100 ewes. Now we're approaching 130 lambs from 100 ewes. The lamb weight's much, much heavier, about three or four kilograms heavier, which is all a market response to what the lamb carcass should be and, and that. And the other thing that's happened in this time is we've moved away from being a carcass industry, mm. selling carcasses. We only sell about 1% of our um, lamb would go out as carcasses now. The rest is into cuts. And we extract value by different parts of a carcass going to different markets to extract the most value. It's so a very sophisticated logistics industry is our meat industry now. We're going to talk a wee bit later about how you can, all these sort of statistics and information yep. that are coming out of the farm survey and the economic service. Uh, actually, just that reminds what's the difference? The economic service and the farm survey terms both get used, but economic service is the, the corporate body, the people, the farm survey is yeah, it, what you do. It, it, and it's now a, a unit within Beef and Lamb yep. New Zealand, yeah. So and it's, we still keep the and it, it's expanded out to economic service and insights. Ah, I see, yeah. <coughs> Looking at the forecast. Yep. So, I mean, and that builds off that robustness. So you've got those farms, and, and you, you sort of mentioned there, the, and, it, and it, it sound, it's easy to say, but you, the process that the survey managers go through for each individual farm every year and over time. How many data points do you end up with each farm? Well, <coughs> originally in the manual days, we used to capture about 600 data yep. points on a farm. Today we capture over 2,000 mm. annual data points. For every individual farm. But yep. we're processing something like 20,000 invoices. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we do get accurate data and that's the power of the survey because uh, it's not what somebody thinks or just says with a guy with a clipboard yep. ticking a, a, a box. We're actually going after hard data and it's hard evidential data that we want on it's got to come from invoices, so we know what tonnage of fertiliser went on, we know how many lambs yeah. were sold, um, and we know the prices, and today yeah. we know the weight and all that sort yeah. of information. It's the difference. You see the actual number, not just a questionnaire where somebody says, I think it was X amount. Two things that brings to me, the, the relationship, I guess, between Beef and Land New Zealand's economic service and official statistics things, but the first is... How do farms become part of the survey? Obviously, you need that stratified sample, so it's not just volunteers or people we meet at sale yards or field days or things in, like in that. In the days before the Privacy Act, it was we used to get a list of names selected at random from the yep. according to the farm site structure um, from the government statistician. Post Privacy Act, the government statistician has to write to farmers when the names come up mm-hmm. and request their permission to give their name to us. Yeah, and so that's the process, the world we live in today, and that's mm-hmm. what we have to go through. Um, and we get a, a surprisingly high acceptance, but we've, we've been out there a long time and uh, a lot of people have been in the survey um, over the years. Mm-hmm. But it's all confidential, yeah, people come but in. The survey is totally confidential. We have a, an agreement we will not disclose any individual mm-hmm. information uh, of farms and we only publish data in aggregate forms. And it means stuff mm-hmm. that ma- makes sense economically and for policy work and to talk about the aggregates of it. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. You know, I did, as you know, so once upon a time the roles were mixed, extension and survey, which was a hard job because the two roles are quite different. We probably don't have time to talk about that, but it was fascinating. Farmers in the survey would share how much information, and I guess they trusted the survey for that confidentiality. They, they, we really do get a whole lot of information. Now that flows through into the robustness you're talking about and the accuracy, which I'm going to come to, but... Um, there are official statistics out there as well, which aren't necessarily exactly the same as the one beef. How do you reconcile that? You know, sometimes we see the official U numbers <coughs> or so on from government well, and beef and land New Zealand we, we, sometimes we, have a different opinion. We work to the official numbers. So yep. what the government statistician will publish is official numbers. Mm-hmm. We'll work to that. But with our sheep and beef farm survey, we can explain how mm. those numbers came about. Yep. Uh, and we'll, we'll work to that. Um, and so... The official numbers really give high-level points, mm-hmm. and they do give trends down to the territorial authority of stock numbers in a territorial authority. Uh, but we, we can interpret what that means in, in terms of stock numbers, but the main thing with a survey is the engineering of it, the way it's designed, is so we can forecast production that's going to come out, and it's also for that we're going to know from the financial analysis and the balance sheet analysis we, we know the profitability and structure of the sector what's happening and what, what will drive changes in the future <clears throat> one of the comments when i was doing a bit of research for this and talking to some of the team one of them stressed 
the term rich relationship. You know that that, um, and we just talked about how the, what the farmers share, how much detail they share, how many of them. I mean, some of your farms have been several decades now. That some well, of the longest ones have been in the structure. Some of the farms, in proportion of size, yep. you've only got a, a choice in some areas. Yep. Of this farm or that farm. Yep. Um, and so some of them have stayed there, but the overall objective of the survey design is such that we don't want to reflect, a, a, have a sample that's mm. just ageing, everybody's getting older. Yep. That. We, we have that refreshing mm. bit coming in. So the average age of farmers um, in the survey um, has been going up, and a, but now it's slowly coming down as opposed to all baby boom guys yeah. getting yeah. out of it coming back. So, so we've seen some interesting sort of statistics come off the survey. But there's always two parties in a relationship, at least two, and obviously the farmers, and we've talked a bit about what they give, but on our side of it, the staff, I mean, how many people you got on the ground? I mean, and that's a full-time role. What do they do day to day? We, we, we basically have eight uh, what we call um, ESMs, Economic mm-hmm. Service Managers, in the regions, mm-hmm. and they, are, they survey the farms. They physically visit the farm. So they're doing what? 60, 70 farms I'll each? We'll be doing about 70 yeah. um, farms each. Um, and so it, it, it's a full-time occupation mm. and uh, with travel time to visit the farm, come back. So we're spending about roughly nearly two man days on a farm with its analysis, getting it all together. And we're visiting the farm and remember we've got information coming in during the year on the mm-hmm. farm as well. But mainly we will have one major visit and then uh, that will be about four hours probably. Yep. And uh, then uh, with that we'll take some uh, information away or we'll have written authority to pick up stuff from their accountant or such if we need to. Yep. Um, and in today's we also have authority to pick up information electronically. Um, and so that then it goes into our, our analysis system and then we have to standardise it. So if you go to a farm, the average farm today has probably two accounting entities mm-hmm. and so some of them have, will have up to four. So what we have to do is consolidate those to one farm business and one set of account, management accounts for that farm. And we just can't take the principal set of accounts because <laughs> you, you miss the... Uh, the debt structure and balance sheet yeah. structure. So we have to look at the whole farm. So we've got quite sophisticated systems to do that. Mm. And the other thing is that the uh, two thousand odd data point annual data points we capture uh, have to to balance. They go through an edit system, which yeah. is compound yeah. things. So simple things like if if you sell wool, you have to have shorn sheep, and at the worst, the program will say. Well, you at least had to have uh, wool on hand from the previous year if you've sold it this year. But if you haven't, a big flag goes up and fixes this farm mm. case up. So it is very um, robust data, which yeah. is what we need off a small sample um, to tell us. But it, it's, it'll be, it's invaluable for coming into stuff like greenhouse gas evaluations and all sorts of future things. We never know how the survey is going to be used. We've got the building blocks, and um, if inflation becomes high, then expenditures... Is going to be a problem relative to to income. Well, the interest rates are low at the moment. Nobody's really stressing too much about them. But we've seen interest rates up around 16, 20% in my career. And people did, and we stressed about it, and it was what it was part of farm income. So we've got those building blocks to manage that as we need to. I just want to, yeah, sort of drilling into this a wee bit about <coughs> that process of doing the farm survey to give people an idea. There's a rich amount of information. We've linked in the blurb to, to some of the reports where you can find the stuff that's published on the Beef and Land New Zealand website, but it's an incredibly thorough process to get that. You know, that, that information just doesn't pop up. I mean, Rob talked there about standardisation. I can remember myself, the hours, well, not hours, but, well, nearly hours, someone getting stock reconciliations to balance correctly yeah. because they don't necessarily have to balance correctly in an account or not in um, the way that it... A real world might happen, but they have to for the economic service. You have to work out where animals have come from and where they've gone to. But that's sort of talking about the inputs, the amount of effort that goes in. Um, and actually, this is just a wee bit of a sideline, and this was talking to the team about the uniqueness of this. Is there anything equivalent in New Zealand or elsewhere around the world in terms of an industry gathering information on itself so intensely? No, I had a Lincoln <coughs> University travel ground in the 80s and mm. looked at some 
overseas, and particularly in America, but there's nothing really long-term like mm. what the economic service has had and New Zealand has. It is pretty unique and robust. Australia's mm. got the ABS surveys mm -hmm. of, of farms and that, but um, a lot of other ones come and go. Um, but the, the resource of this is, is invaluable yeah. just for policy and keeping about what New Zealand's about. Yeah, and I, um, the thing that actually occurred to me, you said you know around the 1950s the, the Royal Commission had formed up. Um, why wasn't there something equivalent for dairy? There was no, I have no idea. I yeah. was not around at that time. Yeah. But the issue was really <clears throat> with sheep and beef that there was just, mm. everybody had an opinion, but there was nothing, nobody could make any, any decisions. With I guess the, yeah, sheep and beef was well, the biggest game in town back then, it wasn't it? It probably was, yeah. And and dairy, for you know, we get on well with our dairy cousins, but the systems don't tend to be quite as um, variable, I guess, as sheep and beef. No, I, <clears throat> and I, I think sheep and beef really grew post-Second mm. World War. So look, that's the, the inputs, and I'm going to talk a bit about some of the key outputs, some of the key outcomes of this stuff, but you mentioned it before around the accuracy. Um, all this effort, all that time is all very well and good, but how accurate is the information you get out? And do you, you test that, you measure your predictions, and, and where do you tend to, what do you tend to aim for in terms of error? Well, well so some of the things is, some of the reality checks we have is the... The farm income trend would, would be very accurate, but there's not much out there to really measure it against. Mm -hmm. But the survey underpins our forecasts of meat production, mm -hmm. and our KPI is to be within 3% a year ahead. Yeah. And that's where we have industry uh, value for the mm -hmm. meat industry and for the farms um, and for the shipping companies to order um, arranged shipping programs. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's a reference point to work from. Um, so it has value because of that, and most of the time we'll, we'll be within those. You've only hit that 3%, yep. we'll, hit, we'll be within 1% for lamb sometimes. A drought year we might get a wee bit out. Um, and some of the harder things has been, while well, the survey is of existing farms, Yeah. when we had that huge conversion and lost nearly a million hectares of our finishing country to dairy, mm -hmm. We then had to have a separate sort of work with the dairy industry to try and figure out how many dairy farms were starting up, because a they displaced sheep and beef, yeah. which had to go into the system elsewhere um, and come out and slaughter stock. So actually, that's a good sideline. A significant the, amount of New Zealand's beef comes from the dairy industry or has dairy beef genetics. You, yep. you don't do any surveying on on that side on the actual no, dairy farm. Or no, do you rely we, on we do monitor it and we we yep. do map that we, of the beef. Uh, of the cattle slaughtered, we would say 70% would have dairy origin genetics in them today. Mm. Um, and so that leaves 30% of traditional beef out there at the moment. So it is quite big. Yeah. And the uh, the cull dairy cows are a big component. Yeah, we're slaughtering around about 800,000 of those a year now, mm -hmm. uh, annually, um, give or take a bit with the dairy industry's edging ahead or not. Coming back to that that accuracy thing, I, every year when when Beef and Lamb New Zealand come out with their when do you do your lamb crop forecast? You do your the tailing and docking percentage figures. That's well, around. we we would we we just have completed our stock number survey mm -hmm. of livestock on hand as at thirtieth of June. We learnt long ago never to go and ask farmers in May or April what stock they'd expect to have on hand at 30th of June because yep. intentions are never actions. Yeah. And I always just say, euphemistically, I always intend to lose three kilograms, and I still do. You yep. know, intentions are never actions. And we learnt that with surveying farms long ago. So we actually wait till the 30th of June and then we come out with a survey. And mm. farmers, because they've been through our survey process, give us very insightful information about what it is. We also pick up seasonal conditions mm. and other comments about... Uh, what, what they've done at that point. And that, so that's our livestock survey. The lamb crop survey, again, is we survey after lambs are born. Mm -hmm. And that's top of the North Island down, we'll finish early, and the lower South Island is a much later lambing district. So yeah. that's why it takes a bit of a while to get that. But we've learned always to ask what, what has happened on the tailing percentages. That's an interesting thing, because you know the, the process you, you detailed, it, it's a very objective process, it's very analytical, algorithmic, if you like, processing numbers, mm. but uh, that rich relationship comes in there, I think, that farmer opinion, farmer feedback, yeah. farmer comment, 
actually does play a big part in your forecast. Farmer feedback is very important, and we we are about to do our outlook for 2021, and all of our farm survey people will meet on that. Mm -hmm. And we have a process going through where you could use mathematical models to predict stuff going out, and we seed the the regional staff with uh, our forecast prices, and Mm -hmm. we forecast the prices in consultation. We talk to all of the meat industry guys and we, we talk about prices, the expectations in each market, mm-hmm. like UK, rest of Europe, uh, North America, US, um, China, um, Taiwan. And out of all those forecasts we get, and we talk to the marketing guys about the in-market pricing. Mm-hmm. Then we have our own exchange rate model, so we don't want the company's interpretation of the exchange rate looking ahead. Um, and it's, it's surpri- gives us surprisingly good feedback as to what where the prices are going to go. The only thing we can never get is the exchange rate. Mm. Nobody can. But the in-market pricing is, is pretty good, and then we bring that back to New Zealand. Um, we model what, what a land price and, and so steer price will be in New Zealand. You're highly accurate with production figures, yep. you know, low single percentage errors. What's your targets, or have you ever measured yourself? Is it for, you know against prices forecast? Yeah, in market prices are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the exchange yeah. rate component, and the exchange rate leverage is pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have a twenty percent effect because the exchange rate works on the export price, mm-hmm. and if the exchange rate falls, it means there's lower dollars at export for that ton of meat. And so that flows quite quickly back, back. back to the farm gate price. Yeah, cost of processing in New Zealand don't change. The cost of processing and freezing, yeah. getting it on board, ship insurance, for the processor's point of view, hasn't really changed. Mm. And so that's where that, and so it can be quite leveraged. So that's why it makes it harder for us on the, that. The exchange rate where it is, is has been quite favourable and we're expecting it to be reasonably favourable in this coming year. Um, yeah, just you know, the the accuracy thing is always an interesting one, and I just wanted to drill into that, understand why it is accurate because of the, the level of detail you go into. But you actually touched on it at the start. Every spring, when you come out with your land crop report, almost without fail, there'll be somebody in one of the rural media or somebody saying, "No, no, the forecast's no good," because mm. I've talked to my clients up yep. this road, and we've. Yep. But I, I guess the um, you are accurate overall for the country, and that's because you're you've got that wider view, I guess, yep. and, and, and that. And, and we do fit in like, like the Hawke's Bay. We know what the mm. we have an expectation of a, a much poorer lambing percentage there because of the drought. Um, and, um, and and also the Waikato has been pretty dry, and what that ha- impact will have. So we, we have a view on all that, and yeah. we model that. But it's the actual farm data we get at the end yeah. that validates that or not, um, and and that's what we'll work from. And that's well ahead of any official government stat- statistics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I see it. You know, that it's easy in spring, and to say I think you forecast out, but. It's nine months or ten months later before the official figures come out, but, but and then normally you're on the money. The other thing, the economic service, we always feel we're a bit brave because we're the guys who have to write a number down on the paper <laughs> yeah. and then stand by it. Or, you know, as, as world events change, we, we will bring out, we will update our, our, our forecast. We used to do it three times a year, we do it twice a year. We do a, a new season outlook coming out in um, early September, and then we'll do a, a revision which will come out in uh, late February, March early March. And, and I, I want to touch on that. We're going to come on to some of the key outputs and what's available for people to use. But these forecasts, as you say, you put numbers on paper. Um, they're not just for interest. I mean, they mean something to industry. So people are booking containers and shipping based on, on your yeah. numbers? Yeah. It, it, and that leads to a much more efficient industry. Mm. Um, and we quite say, oh, you, you know, you're giving away information, Rob, by talking about yeah. forecast land production, you know. Um, but the, the point is, from an economic perspective, if, if there's a common base that everybody's working to an expectation, the industry will organise itself much more efficiently. Mm. If they didn't know and they were guessing, you'll probably find a bigger discount back on yeah. the price because the risk and people won't know. So that out, the, those advantages to the New Zealand industry outweigh the, you know, what people are saying yep. is potential costs if our competitors know what our land supply is going to be this year. Yeah, it? for efficiency about where we are, yeah. yeah. And uh, it, it's worked really well over years, and it stood the test of time. 
And in the economic service, our role is to say what, what's happening. You know, we're, we're not going to play the political game. If we did that, I'd, we would not be very effective. But yeah, I mean, it, it, the numbers are interesting to look at, but they make they have real life implications for businesses. And you and I would touch them. Even down, I don't know whether it still is, but once upon a time, the manufacturer of, of rubber rings, yep. for example, was um, influenced, or they were taken into account the economic service stats, for example. Yeah, r- rubber rings were very important. A, a is for tailing on farm, mm-hmm. but. Going back, I don't think they used that, but they used to be used in the in the meat industry too, okay. um, on the slaughter board. Um, oh, okay. So and the, and so the, that was all, yeah. On the uh, offal, they In the offal, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so um, those sorts of things, they, they, our forecast, what was happening, was crucial to mm-hmm. whether they made. They never wanted to undersupply the rubber rings, but they mm-hmm. never wanted to oversupply. Yeah. Um, so those are the sorts of things where. A lot of our information, sometimes we hear it a bit second-hand is what people look at that's being mm. used, yeah. yeah. But and also Dominion Salt Works. Yeah, one of our biggest salt consumers is the is for uh, curing pickling hides and skins yeah, okay. in the meat industry. So yeah. they're, they're interested in uh, what our um, production's like, yeah. likely to be. And then they also have, if they have a good season or a bad season, they mm. want to know how much salt they need around. Yeah. And I presume, you know, there's others in, in economic forecasting, consultancy, those type of things, using the information. I mean, is there any other source of the information? If the economic service didn't exist, this is probably a bit of a leading question. Well, you'd have um, consultancy firms would have oh. their own studies of their groups and things, but uh, they would be more to their regions and, and such. Um, I think the economic service is standardising everything we do from North Cape to Bluff mm. and even the terminology and names are different yes. as you move through the country Tailing and having to standardise all of that and to make sure we're all talking about the same stuff No, it's one term, it's tailing it's not docking <laughs> um, I, I, We were talking beforehand and there's one story I'd heard which may be apocryphal it may be just a, a myth but that once upon a time when I mean, war boards have been through a lot of um, processes and rationalisation and there was an idea that it would be simpler just to buy the information we needed and somebody asked one of the major accountancy type firms, can we buy the information? The firm said no, the director said why not and the firm said well because we get it off the economic service and, and that's where um, a lot of their business was based on, this, you know, in terms of their forecasting and, and some of their, their analysis. But um, That's where it all comes from, that's the level of accuracy. You've talked about the land crop report, the stock number report. What are some of the other key outputs, you know, the actual reports? Well, New Season Outlook report, which ties everything together, Mm -hmm. where we're looking at at stock numbers, we're looking at uh, land production. We distill that down into one report, and then we have market commentary about what's happening in the major markets, Um, and then right through uh, to what that means at the farm level. And what our expected uh, profitability will be on farms for the coming year. Um, And we'll also give the answers in a range with the exchange rates up or down Uh 10% or such, which does move things around a bit, particularly when overseas prices are less than favourable. So for for people listening, for farmers listening, and I think most to be aware of the economic service, I suspect even those that are highly engaged aren't quite aware of the breadth and depth and amount of information that is available from the economic service. How do they get a hold of it? Where do they get, where can they access well, some of the stuff? Basically the web today, mm-hmm. and Beef and Lamb New Zealand's web, so there's a lot of sheep and beef farm survey information on the web. It's yep. We could still put a lot more up there. <laughs> Um, given time and, and resources, um, but we've got the key uh, bits there at the moment. But we can certainly add more detail on on components of fertilizer and that. And there'll be more coming up about, I guess, greenhouse gas emissions and and, and where we're going with that and what that might mean at the farm level. So that'll all be part of it. And we're very much part of all the background work with Haywalker Ekanoa and. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we expect the industry to do and and where it is, right right down to trees for carbon farming versus sheep and beef farming. Yeah, no, one of the the comments I had passed me when I was, again, doing my research and prep for this was basically that um, the economic service data is essential for pretty much all our environmental activity, all our extension programs in our science and research and our market stuff. So there's pretty much nothing in Beef and Lamb New Zealand that doesn't rest in part at least on the economic service data. One of the things though in terms of people at farmers engaging with it that I think 
there's reports and people read those and the stats are interesting and you can use them but um, I think one of the underutilised bits is there already are interactive tools aren't there on the website that people can yes. use yes <clears throat> and we have more, more interactive tools coming along okay. and we've got one called the Yardstick okay. which will be coming online it's, it's still under development and it's working very well for the financial reporting and meat production reporting so what's Yardstick? Yardstick well it, it's really a, a whole farm analysis which works off farm accounts uh-huh. and uh, farmers putting in their own stock numbers. Um, maybe it's quite good and fun to work on it in a group, uh-huh. in a workshop, um, and it feeds back a lot of information that can help. And the information that's coming back, when they talk about key performance indicators, yeah. now Sheep and Beef Farm survey has key performance indicators and a whole range of them. And people attach too much importance to the uh, some of the key performance indicators. It's it's just calculating them, uh-huh. and if they're about right, it's really important thing is the conversation you have from it about what do I do, where do I go yeah. next, go. and these are what benchmarks are all about and discussion and improvement and where we go. And certainly, our sheep and beef farm sector is not static; it's evolving uh-huh. very very quickly. And, uh, and what we do and how we do things. So Yardstick, um, sound, it's almost in a way going to let people do their own... Correct. As if they're in the survey, but not quite that They, they can do, yeah, and, and they can put it in. And it will give some pretty good insights. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, um, it's just slowed down a wee bit on its release because we're trying to build some greenhouse gas okay. component into it. Um, Sometime this year, yeah. Oh, yes, no. yeah, definitely. Um, I know, no doubt there'll be a fair bit of PR around that. Yeah. The other tools on there, there's one around benchmarking your lambing percentage, a fairly basic one. There's a couple of yep. benchmarking tools already. Are they going to be uh, su- surpassed by Yardstick? Or at least no, well, they, that, that will be a component of it too. You'll be able to see your lambing percentage and where you sit against uh, other farms in your region or nationally, mm-hmm. whichever you choose. Yep. And, and there are some tools up there on the web which you can do that, which will show you where you sit mm-hmm. for the region. Uh, if you just put your lamb used ram and lamb's tail numbers in, it will graphically show yep. you where you fit in the distribution for the region. Okay, so and again, and have a look in the in the description of this podcast. We'll put some links to some of that sort of stuff. If you haven't seen it, it's all there. As you say, you can now you understand a bit of where it comes from, and um, you can go and see for yourself how useful it is. So let's talk. We've sort of talked about the survey, um, that what it takes to do it, the inputs, the outputs. We're going to talk a wee bit about your career as well, Rob, because I think that's of interest to people. But key outcomes of the survey, I mean, obviously it's achieving things for the industry. That's why it's still in existence and it's continually adapting. You're adding things like greenhouse gases and so on. I, I don't know, over your time, how long have you been with the Economic Service? Over 40 years. Over 40 years. <laughs> so that's hence why you're able to talk about a number of these things Leave it like that. in the first person. But uh, what would you say are some of the, the big wins or the big achievements over, that, over the time of the, the Economic Service? Oh, I think in my career coming through, it was I, I arrived and um, everything was so bad. We had the sheep retention payment, yeah, which was a dollar a sheep, and then the next year we had one of the biggest booms and high levels of farm profitability. Mm. Um, then we crashed into the oil shock. <laughs> so the economic service is because the sheep and beef sector. Um, urban New Zealand forgets this. We export about 90% of what we produce or more. And so it's the international events that are affecting our prices. So um, from that boom time and that commodity boom in the, in the early 70s, we crashed into the first big oil shock. And uh, I think beef went down to oh, peanuts, about 10 cents a, a pound mm. in the States. And because people stopped driving their cars and going to takeaways and things and there was a huge reaction and that sort of thing and then that after that we had supplementary minimum prices and uh, all sorts of things come in and then land development encouragement loan schemes so they're all a part of that a lot of those things and those workings were all coming back to what does it mean to the sheep and beef farm and under the scene of all this government policy uh, we were working flat out on that sort of stuff um, and then um, they had the livestock incentive scheme. Uh-huh. Again, uh, that was a government drive sort of thing. But um, and through the 80s, and uh, Muldoon with his crawling peg to uh, fixed currency, uh, trying to fix things up. 
um, through to um, the November 85 when Roger Douglas uh, deregulated the economy overnight. Yeah. Um, and I can still remember the tailspins were there, and we were just writing papers and, and stuff and board papers and helping with government what it might mean. Um, and again, all that was based off the survey to give sound policy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we got through that, and so government had imposed some stuff on the sector that nobody had expected a government ever would. Um, and by 1990, we had got through that. Um, it was very hard on some people at mm. that time, and hard on the sector. Um, and then I, I guess 1990, uh, all the subsidy effects and a lot of the government regulation prior to then had dissipated, and the the sector was from then on was on standing on market prices and performance overseas. Because I mean it's a little detail, but <coughs> consistently I printed off one of your presentations. Actually, I was just going through some stuff because. Some of the observations you've made about the industry and what what has remained, I guess, constant as drivers of change and what's in farmers' control. But consistently, it's using 1990-91 as sort of a benchmark year. Is that just because that was when we'd got through that yeah, well, economic transformation? We, 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 use, yes, we use that because by then we could see there was no residual effects and people were standing on a total market-derived stuff. I think the wool board back then had a bit of a flurry trying to get some support in the early 90s, but mm-hmm. uh, that was a no. Yep. Um, and coincidentally, or uh, 1990 is also a base year for greenhouse gas type mm-hmm. reference point as to where, where you move from. Um, and from that, you know, we've seen 34, as I mentioned earlier on, 34% of our sheep and beef farm land has gone from production. Um, since 1990, and that's quite significant. Uh, and it also helps explain why we've got 54% fewer sheep and 15% fewer beef cattle. You know, they're not disconnected sort of events. Yeah. But it also means we have about sheep and beef has about 40% lower carbon footprint than it had in 1990. The industry as a whole. The industry yeah. as a whole. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, uh, but but moving on. Um, through, through the 90s, I guess, it was really government policy and 1990s were pretty difficult as the industry came to terms and was restructuring itself. Just Actually, and I'm sorry, just, just interrupt for a moment there. Beef and Lamb New Zealand Economic Services is fully or basically fully funded by farmer levies? Is a bit totally of, funded by farmer yeah. levies, yep. Make a little bit of income from selling We have income streams on the side, but uh, if you want to go into the history of it, we did operate as a company, um, Primary in- Industries, uh, Primary Economic Service New Zealand, which was Penzl mm-hmm. Limited. Um, and the board saw the principal funders of us. And in those days, we had a lot more uh, meat companies. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot more stock and station agents who were clients. And as they all started merging and stuff like that, and all going out of business, um, like the Dalgettys going mm. to Williams and Kettle and um, uh, the Vesti group of meat companies went. Uh, all those sort of came down, the the market base became smaller and smaller. Mm. And what was happening in the private sector is, and as it became smaller, companies would then want to put a, a caveat on anything you sold them, you couldn't sell to somebody else. Yeah. So your market, and a lot of New Zealand consultants consulting to New Zealand industry, had the same thing like telecom and all mm. that sort of stuff. You, if you wanted to keep in that thing, you had to go overseas, mm. and that was uh, for consulting. <clears throat> we didn't get into that, so it, it came back with restructuring the boards, and then the wool board went, and it was Meat and Wool New Zealand, and then yeah. that evolved into um, into Beef and Lamb New Zealand. Yeah, it was yeah. Meat and Innovation for a while there, I think we were, were you part That's of that? That's right, yeah, because I was through some of that. But I guess where I was going with that is that there were some tough times there and there was a lot of restructuring, downsizing in the meat and wool boards from, from where they'd been. It, it culminated eventually in the loss of the wool levy and, and mm. we would got to. Through that time, was the economic service ever at risk? Was it people looking at it going, we, you know, we're spending this money, you're funded by levies? Um, I, I think uh, there was always tension on to, to do more with less. Mm-hmm. Yep. But that's still the same story today. <laughs> like, um, but the economic service has always been very, very lean, mm. 
as a group, and the survey structure has been the leanest we can make it. Um, And we've had work studies and we've had consultants in reviewing it. It's very hard to make it less than if we want it to do what we're doing. At the moment, it is the rock and the Mm. reference point for a lot of policy. And as I was just explaining, even now, all of this policy environment stuff we're moving through is... we're using the survey to measure what that may mean or where we're going mm. and the impacts on what that will mean to production and everything like that because you've got that rock in there. And at the moment, um, I think the survey coming ahead will, farms in it will probably have a, a, a GIS map of their farms mm-hmm. provided to them. So there must be, I guess at times there will be a tension there between, say, government policy or intent and what the, and obviously the industry, I guess. Um, where I'm going with that is, you know, a byline around here has always been by farmers for farmers, and, yep. and that's the role of it ultimately. Um, it would be much harder, I guess, for the industry to argue some of our policy disagreements or issues if we didn't have our own. I, I think at times people would, the economic service, as I say, we're, we're a rock, mm. and our brief has always been, with, as a group, has been to be independent and authoritative. Mm-hmm. And we can only do that by running that robust survey. Yep. And then all of our comments and interpretation from that is very robust. Mm-hmm. And that robustness adds huge value into policy type work and it stops a lot of policies in their track where they're going the wrong way. Mm. So we work pretty hard with that. Yeah, yeah so I guess the flow from that, it's having sometimes a role, an outcome, an impact that farmers and the general public necessarily wouldn't see. It's actually stopping policy yeah. or influencing policy formation. <clears throat> it's influencing policy and some people would not like to know what's actually happening or what it might mm. mean. So, and, and some of the stuff is we, we're bringing up what we call whole sector business cases. We'll take the farm information mm-hmm. and we'll look at what they what it means to the whole economy. Yeah. So, um, let's talk about Rob Davison for a moment because I know certainly in my career and I think for a lot of farmers, you're, you're pretty much synonymous with the the economic service, and not yep. just because you've been there a while, but because obviously you led it, and we'll talk about that. Um, don't necessarily have to get precise about when you started, but what was your role when you started? You, you, were you fresh out of varsity, or did you had you start? I started, I grew up in Wellington, and I left mm-hmm. school vowing never to come back to Wellington City, <laughs> and wanting to work on farms, and yep. I was a farm cadet, so I've worked... You weren't from a farm or a farming family? Not from a farm. I, I had an uncle who had a farm, so yep. I used to spend my school holidays in the King Country, but when I left as a farm cadet, I worked for a year in, uh, in Waimahaka down in Southland. Mm-hmm. I spent a year in Canterbury on a uh, largely a dryland livestock farm with a wee bit of crop. Um, and moving north, uh, spent 18 months on the Wairapa coast as, mm-hmm. a, as a shepherd. And um, a bit of time in Pahia Tour and uh, Ratahi, Awakuni, mm-hmm. as a young lad. And in that period, uh, I also did a diploma in sheep farming mm-hmm. and uh, still passionate about agriculture and uh, worked in the King Country uh, on a farm there for nearly a year. And then I met a guy, Jim Stewart, from Lincoln University, mm-hmm. travelling around the North Island. And uh, I like the idea of this Bachelor of Agricultural Commerce Degree he talked so, about. So the diploma you're talking about, had you done that? I did a diploma before that. Through correspondence? Or? I did a diploma at uh, Massey University, a sheep, sheep and beef farm diploma. And then you saw the light and after Lincoln. And um, out farming again, and then wandering times were pretty tough around then, and mm. Muldoon was, I think he bought the first evaluation in of the currency and stuff. And, yeah. Um, just things were see me, what do I do? But Jim Stewart, meeting him, was impressed me. Mm-hmm. And I took on the idea of going to Lincoln University, which I did. And I did a Bachelor of Agricultural Commerce, uh, Commerce degree and spent another year doing an honours year. Then at that point, um, I met Frank Ward, who was director of the then Economic Beef and Meat and Wool Board's Economic mm-hmm. Service. And I had an interview on the front of us front seat of his car and <laughs> he was a return service with one arm and I just mm. this big one hand came out and shook my hands. Congratulations, you're on I'm employing you as a research officer. <laughs> just like that. So um, job interviews are not like that today. No, no, a bit more <clears throat> And uh, I arrived in Wellington and um, here I am. Amen. And 
worked as a research officer, then economist, chief economist, and um, when Neil Taylor left to work for the Mink Board, I took over, applied for, and was accepted in the role of uh, executive director of the Economic Service then. Which I'd not had experience really in interviews, but the interview they gave me, I'll never forget, which was a panel of four people sitting there, Uh poker-faced, and said, Rob, you know the industry, we're not going to ask you one question, you tell us for 15 minutes what you're going to do with the economic service, and don't stop. Um, and having sat outside the interview room and heard the previous incumbent Mm. having roars of laughter and things like that was (laughs) quite off-putting so what did you tell them? can you remember what you well I I talked about that and I I talked about what I couldn't promise to do which if I was green I probably would Mm. Um, and uh, how I saw the industry where it was going and where we would be effective and the influence we would have um, and I remember pausing about after 10 minutes and uh, they just all nodded and said, continue, don't <laughs> stop. <laughs> and uh, so that was it. Yep. And I had went off to a coach to see how to be interviewed and that, that was not in his book. <laughs> that's the way to do it. Uh, that's a, that's a <laughs> but anyway, so that's how, yeah. how I... And did he... Can, is it, um, thinking back, thinking what you can remember from that interview, has it panned out how you thought it would or how you hoped it would? Yeah, very much, yes. Yeah. And, and there, there were tensions at time between the meat board and wool board mm. as to whether mm. we would keep going or not and uh, yeah, no, things like that. And, and wool prices would rocket up and the uh, wool board then was collecting 6% of the wool check and uh, they'd have a lot of money and they would expand and then the wool prices would come down mm. and they would, well, look, we cut everybody else down 25%, you ex- you're going to cut you 25%. So we'd have huge arguments about well we didn't expand yeah and so I went through all that sort of management sort of stuff back then but that that was part of it perhaps we should cut that out although yeah. no no it's interesting yeah. I, 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 but it's it, how it was back then it yeah. was and I think you know a lot of the farmers we talk about the age of they are aware of what went on and, and that's the history some mm. good things have come out of it some things we've we've learned from and, and moved on I guess mm. just um, thinking about it technically you're talking about the number of farms was it always that four and a half percent or thereabouts you know even in the early days when people were doing a lot of stuff yeah, manually we, we always had around about um, we, we needed statistically we need about 530 farms with yep. the farm class structure to make it talk about mm-hmm. New Zealand from North Cape to Bluff and get it together and that's that's the minimum so whether you've got 24,000 farms or you've got 9,300 now, we still need about that number of farms if you're going to make uh, worthwhile comment and forecasts from, from the, that data. So yeah, yeah. I mean, and I guess the you know, as some of the computerisation and other tools have come in, um, you, you've kept that number of farms, but that's when you've been able to grow the number of data points per farm. The, the number of data points has grown, and, and, and maybe the intensity of the conversations mm. of farmers in the survey. Yeah, uh, but it, it, it's such an invaluable resource, and the whole survey lines up right back to 1968 yeah. on computers we've kept it so that we can look back or forward got it all still. we haven't ju- as we've evolved and changed things we've kept it so we can look at legend has it I was I was told uh, before that it used to be in here in Wellington or somewhere it was all getting written up on huge blackboards on the wall or something well, like that, each individual was, farm and you're nearly right it was called pegboards peg they, they were big sheets of mm. semi cardboard paper with uh, a row of holes along the top which mm. would go on a pegboard so you could line up various columns and then yeah. you'd have a clerk would add them up and they had to add them up down the page and across the page right. and get to the same answer. For, and that was for 500 and something odd. 530 farms. I think there were three clerks doing that full time. Yeah. I know the team talk about it. It's a busy role and I know the team mm-hmm. are pressed, but I think maybe it's probably a wee bit more enjoyable about that. But you brought in things, as you said, with the extra... Well, not having to do things manually like that frees up some time, but now you're doing things like what do you do with the sewer? Are you doing things like greenhouse gases and carbon emissions and things like that? With, yeah, with the well, a whole lot of that. Yeah, and so we were evaluating what what that means, and and we there's a whole whole lot of work behind the scenes at the moment. The gold standard for working out greenhouse gases will be something like um, overseer. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the moment, we're looking. There's about five or six models out there for greenhouse gases, in in our model, and we're looking at how they all measure up against overseer. Yep. So we're just trying to work out 
what is the best way to get the a practical one that farmers can use without too much um, effort. Because um, overseer is you're talking three or four thousand dollars to set it up for a farm and to get this information out. Yeah. But you are doing some of your survey farms through overseer, for example, to get some. Get so some there are some. Uh, we've been funded for that mm-hmm. separately outside the beef and lamb levy. Yeah. Uh, from government, we've some of the farms have gone through that. Yep. But you, that, that could be well something in the future. You, if there's a decent model, we may add for a lot of your survey farms trying to get a, a, a greenhouse gas accounting or things like that. Well, I think everybody will have to have yep. it by the, the, the on what government's saying. Mm. But, um, so, if we can come up and take the lead and do something efficiently mm. um, and that's cost effective to sheep and beef farmers uh, and is meeting this government legislative requirement mm-hmm. um, that's where we're going yep. so you talked way back um, you know how the, the insights term is now sort of about the economic survey and or yep. sort of an insights um, and you've talked a wee bit about where we're going I mean your insights for the economic service with you talk, touch there some of the things that are coming where else do you think the, the farm survey the information might go in, in future well, the farm survey as I said it's this invaluable set of information which can be used back at the farm level for benchmarking mm-hmm. and is invaluable for policy and, and helping get sensible policy coming out of government. So I don't think that will change. And as I was saying earlier on, it, it, greenhouse gases is going to be very important. Then there's going to be your stock numbers on your farm uh, and, um, and maybe your meat production that's coming off it. Mm-hmm. Um, they will link very closely to greenhouse gas emissions. But also the survey, uh, we're expanding it because it's also what other vegetative things have you got on there? Mm-hmm. And so taking account of m- maybe scrub is going to have a value to count, maybe mm-hmm. scrub growing, uh, regenerating all indigenous growth, all that sort of stuff. Uh, what, what's the, um, the un- ungrazed areas of your farms? Mm-hmm. So there's a whole lot of work going on on that, which the farm survey is the core starting point for a lot of that, for yeah. what it will mean and to help sum up what this will mean nationally. And also to interpret the, the um, geospatial mapping of the whole mm. country. Um, we can interpret what that means on farms economically. They've got all these sort of things that come along, but they but disconnected. So we can connect these up and try and get very sensible outcomes. So GIS mapping, overseer, you know, I know a lot of the, the um, invoices and for fertiliser, for example, or, or stock sales can all be sourced electronically. Yep. Do you ever see it moving away where it's a remote survey, where you're not having eight or nine people on the road full-time? No, I, I think it's interviewing, meeting the farmer and its mm. people. You know, I'm slightly extrovert and it's people mm. business. Yeah. Um, and farming and the survey with, with what's happening is, is definitely... Mm part of the story but it's it's the visiting farms that allows our extension survey people uh, when we get together to build forecasts we've actually understood what's actually happening on the farm because it's why we're collecting physical real mm-hmm. data it's the qualitative stories that go with the data as you're collecting it is part of the survey and never underestimate that mm-hmm. so we are a people business you know yeah, no, that's the one thing I've observed. You know, that the survey has to be done consistently the same way. There's not a lot of room for, I guess, uh, interp- or not so much interpretation for initiative and so on. The, the team have to analyse things, but it's fascinating when you do your forecasts to aim for that high level of, of accuracy that it's not just on the numbers. That's that, I guess, that uh, market intelligence or that awareness your team have gathered through just talking to people and hearing yeah. what they're saying. And that's... And, and they will beat mathematical models mm. in our what's going to happen next year. Because yep. when you do a mathematical model, it's it's giving an answer on average of the past. Yep. Um, and you can do all sorts of tricks and things with that. But guys who actually can consolidate all the farms they've met, mm-hmm. and they're working seasonally within the industry, they've got all that. Mm-hmm. And that gives us that little that edge on our forecasts. So, as an economist, I'll look at all the mathematical models, but boy, you've got to listen to people for next year because this is where you're going to get the, the quality uh, and, and meaningful answers.
Brilliant. Hey, look, I um, the, speaking of forecasts and outlooks, I know you guys are just about in almost your peak workload at the moment. Yep. Yeah, and yet I've dragged you away for an hour and a half or so from your That's job right. to come and talk about Please this sort do. of thing. Please Love but, talking. Yeah, no, I think people who've heard you over the years will know that. And that's why we wanted to, as I said, we wanted to mark our 100th podcast and we really wanted to mark 70 years of the, of the economic service, the farm survey, for the meat and wall boards, their predecessors, their various iterations over the years. And I've mm. been there for a wee bit of that time, but certainly not mm. as long as Rob. But I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted that you thought we might talk about or you wanted to cover, Rob? We've covered a fair way. Oh, I, no, I just really appreciate the time that individual farmers give yep. Beef and Lamb New Zealand uh, via its Sheep and Beef Farm, farm Survey. It's crucial for New Zealand and uh, they get a reward back too from being involved in the survey but it's nothing like what the whole industry benefits from. Definitely. No, and I know a few of them will be listening so hopefully that's um, probably given them some insights into what they're part of that they may not have heard but uh, Rob Davison, Executive Director of Beef and Lamb New Zealand's Economic Service. Thank you very much for taking some time out at, as I say, one of your busiest times of the year. And I'm really glad, having worked with you for a fair while myself, to have got that down for posterity. So thanks, okay. Rob. Thank you.